welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We are happy you're here. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Morning. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. And it says, A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be fast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of heavenly forces will do this. Now, really, it's an unbelievable story. An angel came to a teenage virgin and told her that God was going to come to earth as one of us. And as she gave him room, he would save the world. This is more than a story. It's the recounting of a revolution of hope that came when Jesus came to earth. Now, a bit of back history. Jesus was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus the most powerful man on earth, ruling from the most powerful nation on earth. And he had fought to get his position and he was determined to keep it and he used in part religion to cement his rulership. So he named himself Pontifus Maximus, which means the greatest high priest. Halley's Comet passed over Rome just around that time early in his reign and he announced that it was his father, Julius Caesar, entering heaven as a god. Now, if Julius Caesar was a god, then it follows that Caesar Augustus was the son of God. From the beginning, the kingdom of Caesar and the kingdom of God were in stark contrast to each other, irreconcilably opposed, and they still are. The reign of Caesar Augustus ushered in the Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome, and it lasted 200 years and it was established by brutality and violence and slaughter. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, our great High Priest and the Son of God, brought with him everlasting peace through the violence and brutality of his own death. Now, Interestingly enough, Mary had no qualms about accepting this incredible privilege, even though she knew that her reputation would be shot to pieces. She very likely would lose her fiancé. She might even lose her life because a girl in that situation could be put to death. Yet something in her heart helped her understand more than the words that we read as we read that story. And I have to confess that Even though I wasn't brought up as a Christian, I was surrounded by nativity sets and all the rest of it. And I I used to read that particular scripture. I never understood the second half of it, but it's the second half that is radical. And so Jesus, uh, sorry, Mary responded to this unbelievable news, not by saying, oh no, how's that going to happen? She did say, how's it going to happen? But it was a question rather than, I can't do this. She responded not in fear or denial, but by singing a song of insurrection, a joyous, bold song of revolution in which the poor and the marginalised, of whom she was one, 
have the greater value. And the arrogant and the self-satisfied rulers are dethroned, all because of the child that she will carry within her. So listen to what Mary's saying and think about the second half of it as you listen. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then this is the bit that actually has got even more potency. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants, of whom we are a number of those, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, This revolutionary song does not fit the sanitised version of the blue-robed virgin that we see in the nativity scenes. And actually, we've done this birth, this amazing birth, a great disservice by concertinering, you know, almost two years of action into this one particular little scene that we see. And in doing that, we make it passive. We make the story passive. But... Mary's words as she sings challenge the counterfeit religion which like Caesar in the days of Jesus proclaims that might is right. In the 20th century alone, three countries banned the reading of this scripture. It was forbidden during Britain's rule of India because the words were incendiary and maybe they might uh, incite the oppressed to stand up against British rule. On the final day of British rule in 1947, Gandhi, who was not a Christian, had these words read all over the nation when the British flag was being lowered. It was a prophetic act signalling the end of oppression by a nation that purported Christian values and to be Christ followers when their methods were clearly Might is right, the kingdom of Caesar. Argentina's military junta banned it after it was displayed on placards in the capital plaza in protest regarding the children who had been stolen from their families in the 1970s. In Guatemala, the government found the proclamation of that scripture and of God's deep concern for people who've been oppressed was so dangerous that it was banned from public recitation in the 1980s because the words encouraged an oppressed people to know that God was on their side and change was possible. You know, the counterfeit always fears the true, always uses power to attempt to suppress it. But this song reaches around the world, calling in all those who will turn their back on the Caesars of every generation and every nation and will choose not to rely on power and wealth for hope and peace, but will look to the heavenly, hope-filled kingdom that only comes through Christ. 
The Reverend Carolyn Sharp says, Mary's courageous song of praise becomes a radical resource for those seeking to honour the holy God amid, and this is relevant for all of us, the suffering and conflicts of real and everyday life. Now, that singer of revolution, a revolution of hope and peace, became a homeless woman who gave birth to an illegitimate child after travelling heavily pregnant for 110 kilometres to the tiny village of Bethlehem. The King of Kings was born in a little tiny backwater town in sight of a magnificent palatial resort that had been built by Herod, whom the Romans called King of the Jews, He had built it for himself on the top of this 80-metre man-made mountain. Mary's song is bold and strong and it proclaims how God inverts the structure of authority that humans will build for themselves. It calls for something new, a revolutionary way for Christ followers to live where hope for the future as citizens of a heavenly kingdom means that today... In the midst of conflict and uncertainty, we can have peace, not through what we own and not through what we have and how we fit in, not through a passive nativity version of Christianity, but because right from the beginning, God has always been on the side of the poor, the oppressed, the rejected, rather than the self-satisfied and the powerful. To understand that kind of hope is to have the big picture of what Jesus did by becoming human and agreeing to be vulnerable and live alongside us. Sister Elizabeth Johnson says, The Magnificat is a revolutionary song of salvation whose political, economic and revolutionary, uh, whose political, economic and social dimensions cannot be blunted. People in need in every society hear a blessing in this. The battered woman, the single parent without resources, those without food on the table and those without even a table, the victims of the powerful, the homeless family, the young abandoned to their own devices, the old who feel discarded, all are encompassed by the hope that Mary proclaims. You know, following Jesus was never meant to be about social conformity and middle-class comfort, but it's always been about walking in the margins with the marginalised and walking in hateful places with the hated, thinking differently, giving differently, spending differently, not accepting the status quo of our society, not thinking what everyone else thinks because I need to fit in. People look to Jesus' example and do what they can to be like him. So not that they say, I'm a Christian, but that within them is this deep cry, I follow Christ. Now Mary is a visionary for people who want to prioritise what God thinks. 
who are not afraid of the future because their hope is not in what they own or whether they fit in. The God who came to live in our vulnerability, surrounded by our poverty and our inadequacy and our conflict and our confusion, who made the choice to live among an oppressed and powerful people as one of them and not live in the palaces of Caesar or Herod. And no other God can make that claim. Even more, no other God laid down his life so that anyone, anyone, anyone could become a member of his body. And that's our hope for the future. And if we grasp that, we can have peace like Mary and Joseph did in the midst of all the trauma and rejection and confusion that they were making their journey of their lives in because his life in us enables us to belong, which is awesome for those of us who felt rejected, which is all of us, right? We are his family. We are partners in ushering his kingdom into every arena of society, including among the most marginalised, the very poorest, the most despised, because he was there before us. The Bible says that he was despised and rejected and it's very easy to despise people who are on the margins because they're not like me. People who suffered people who are sorrowful, people who are lost. Jesus is the direct opposite of Caesar and Herod. He is authentically our great high priest. It's not an empty title. He didn't order peace from his throne, but he brought it with us, with him as he came to live among us, sharing our humanness and our total abject failure to live in freedom. He took our sorrows and our sufferings and our rejections and all our shame and he promised that we would live in heaven where all our tears and all our fears would be gone and the sorrow would be gone and we would live in hope and that's the hope that we live in right now. And hope, this is the amazing part of it, hope is transferable. Because everyone who follows him can share it. Because those of us who receive it have it embedded in us and we have it there for the future. And so that means out of that hope comes a peace which passes all understanding to guard our hearts and guard our minds in times of trauma like Mary and Joseph went through. Now this is the final thing and this is amazing because it relates with all of us as well. Simeon told Mary that because of who her son was, a sword would pierce her soul. And we who carry Jesus in our hearts are no different because to live as carriers of the hope Jesus brings means there will always be a sword and our hearts will often be pierced. You know, when Mary stood at that cross, and I know that as a parent, she would have had a lot of swords anyway. But can you imagine what it was like for her when she stood at the foot of that cross and watched that baby, that miraculous boy that she loved so much, watched him die? There's the sword. And can you imagine the hope that was born in her when he was raised from the dead? To live, not just for them and not just for them, but for us and for the world. Yes, there's a sword, but swords 
are impotent when we have hope and the peace that brings to, that is brought to us. The cuts come to our souls in a lot of ways. But those cuts are not powerful enough to destroy the hope in Christ and the peace that comes despite our wounds. When Christian life doesn't seem to stack up with the theory, remember that hope for the future is a lifelong journey. It's not a short thing. It's got a heavenly destination and our peace is found as we continue to turn away from Caesar's way of getting peace to serving the true Prince of Peace, the true great High Priest. At Christmas, our hope remembers that God put skin on and became so tiny that he could fit into a virgin's womb. And yet because he's our God, he's mighty enough to save the world. And that's how hope for the future enables us to live in peace right now. It's about having the big picture on your tables are, are little cards and it's, they're called prayers of hope. Every one of us have got issues that we're struggling with and trying to work out that, that, that seem to be, you know, just beyond us. This is a place for you to write your prayer, the thing that's deeply on your heart. Don't put your name on it. Make sure it's anonymous. Write your prayer on this card and then we'll gather them all up at the end and um, Pastor Sam will pray over them for us. But then it, next week they'll just be distributed among the prayers of the church and people will be praying for the thing that you're asking God to do in your life. listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. May you have a safe and blessed week.